Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co-founder and CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. Through the insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's world. From embracing failure to leading with empathy, we uncover the unconventional strategies shaping the future of leadership. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional Well, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with John McCarthy. John is a serial entrepreneur whose purpose is to balance his passion for being a great husband to Julie, a father to his children, and creating businesses that can help people find more joy and work in life. John's also the host of the Purpose Promise Podcast where he serves everyone looking to reframe work and how to find true success. So as you can see in the introduction, my listening audience, John will be a great guest on here to help align the conversations and our goal is to bring you tremendous value today. John, thank you for being with us. Oh, pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, John, one of the things I've had the pleasure to do over the last several months and years is kind of follow your journey, right? And we've been on similar paths in the talent space. I think it's amazing that God's moving us to both see some of the same type of impact and lack of impact that the workplace is trying to put out into the world today. So today we're going to spend quite a bit of time, everyone, talking about purpose, kind of de call it debunking the buzzword a little bit and get into some of the real psychology, um, methodology, mindset aspect of the word purpose. So thank you again for joining us. And John, let's, let's take it away here. So let's talk a little bit about the, you know, if purpose has been used as a huge buzzword, how do you think it's been misdefined or how can we redefine it for those listening today? Yeah, I think, Mike, it's just been this huge theory, right? And it's talked a lot by pastors and by thought leaders. But what we've missed is the opportunity to walk people into actually how to define it for their own unique journey. And the way that we view success in this, in this world is so often adopted. And so the journey that we've had around purpose, and I think you share this with us from the Talent Magnet Institute in this podcast, is really drilling down and supporting people as they walk and redefine what success is in their home life and their work life, how that integrates, which really speaks to this big buzzword purpose, and then help them manage that and obtain work that's really going to integrate into their best life. Mm. So how do people identify, you know, we've all been seeking it, right? We've all read, we've read the books, we've read the articles. I love how you mentioned that in this conversation, John, this is unconventional leadership. Part of it is about thinking about the whole self, taking care of the whole human, right? We don't want to create 
great managers and people leaders that only think about work. I want people to think about the whole human and how we can help those around us succeed marvelously, achieve their own personal greatness, whatever that might be. So let's talk about this theory of how purpose is the whole self. You mentioned work and life. And, you know, what are you finding there? Where's it been misguided when we've been trying to find purpose? Yeah, I think the muscle memory, Mike, to really contemplate oneself is something that we're not learning at an early age. And in fact, this the world is not really perpetuating the strengthening of that muscle. And if you look at the history, I mean, ironically, if you go back centuries, we were probably more introspective and more contemplative than we are today because we now live in a world of information. We used to covet wisdom, Mike. We used to love wisdom. That's what actually uh, built wealth was wisdom centuries ago. And where we've come is during the Age of Enlightenment, knowledge became power. Right? We've heard that knowledge is power. So we moved away from the obtaining of wisdom. And then now where we find ourselves, Mike, is we are in the age of information, right? Mm. And when you and I had a chance just to share a little bit about our journey in raising teenagers. I mean, our teenagers are bombarded by information, right? And information without the awareness to deconstruct it and take it to knowledge and then experience it through life then it doesn't go to wisdom. And we, I think just the, the champions of this word purpose, we all wanna see people go deeper into the introspection of taking information and, and gaining the knowledge they need about their unique self and then turning it into wisdom so they can craft their best life, not somebody else's that you know we're seeing everywhere. Live this, live that, do this, do that, this is valuable. But every unique person has unique views, should have unique views on success, but we can only obtain it through wisdom. So if I'm a manager, you know, call it, I've been managing others for six to 15 years. Mm -hmm. What's my responsibility for the team around me to help them find their purpose? Is there any responsibility as me as the leader to care what the purpose you know, what the innate, true, psychological, emotional purpose is of every single person that I employ and lead? Of course, Mike. I know that was a rhetorical question because I know we have the same belief on this. But, you know, at, at the deepest level, Mike, it's how we look at human beings. So if I'm leading a, a department of 20 people and I see those 20 individuals as a cog in the wheel of my productivity, then I'm missing the opportunity to see their unique self. And so the job of the leader in this season, where obviously our labor market has been so majorly disrupted because of this thing that we call COVID, but we were already on a path there. But COVID, in a weird way, I think was a blessing. And I want to be respectful to the, the many people that it was you know, so hard on, both physically and, and, and socially. But it, it, it stopped us in our tracks, Mike. And it started the majority of the world analyzing what's most important to oneself. And this is a launching pad of the contemplative life where we gain the wisdom we need. And so if I'm a leader, I need to stop looking at the people that I lead as a cog in the wheel of my productivity and start realizing my job in leadership is to help them define their best life. So providing them with the right boundaries and the right environment where they can be introspective and then partnering with them in that, not necessarily telling them what they need to do or what they need to be, but partnering with them to create a work environment 
that can really sustain their best self. And John, that's what you and I, we are on the similar path that God's placed this on. Like, this is what we want to do, right? Everyone listening to this, everyone listening to your podcast, reading your material, getting your books, get, you know, capturing our books, leadership fusion, people fusion. It's about inspiring that moment where you're like, wow. I've never thought about leading that way, leading those around me. And here's what I shared recently, John, in a speaking engagement with some new budding career leaders finishing up their master's and a human services degree. I was like, you know, I tell people often be the leader that you want to show up tomorrow, right? Don't wait for someone else to lead this way right? Take the inspirations, take what John and I are sharing with you right now, because you may be listening going, you know, I've never had anybody take that approach. I was in a recent conversation with about 300 HR leaders, and there was a lady sitting at the very front table. And, and I knew that she was paying attention. And it was very encouraging. You know, every time, John, you and I go and speak, we're looking for those eye contacts to say, all right, I'm going to zone into you to see how I'm doing with the audience. She shared with me, John, she said at the very end of Q&A, Mike, I just want to tell you, I'm in my seventh company. This is the first time I've ever worked for a leader in seven organizations that cared about me as a human not just an employee to do the job, right? And who get cold chills just repeating it. You know, on one hand, I said, I'm very excited for you. I do also feel the emotion and sadness that that brings for the workplace, right? And that's what happens in the world today. So again, if you're listening, you're going, well, I don't have a leader who cares about my purpose and thinks about, how to help me accomplish my greatness. That's why you're here because you are that leader. You're that kind of person who wants to lead differently. John, so you've spent so much of your career in the attraction of talent space, right? Attracting and retaining talent's been so key to everything you do. What can you tell us about some of the best practices that you've seen magnify and actually achieve what you're referencing today? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, just to your point there, I mean, you know, additionally, if you're an organization that wants to figure out how to attract and retain top talent in this labor market, you've got to create a leadership culture. Now, that's a huge buzzword. Right, let me unpack that. What you just alluded to, Mike, is relative to the leadership crisis that we're ha we have right now in the work world. And why that exists is because we have so many managers and very few leaders. You know, you can manage a budget, you can manage a department, you can manage a project, but can you get in the muck with people and lead them into a better life and work? That's the major question we have to ask ourselves if we want to create leadership culture. So to understand the difference between management and true leadership right now is absolutely critical for any organization that's looking to attract and retain top talent. And hey, big asterisk on this, Mike, it is messy. Yeah. Right. Leadership requires that we deal with human beings. And I'm just telling you, I'm raising my hand, folks. If you can't see me, I, I'm a mess. You know, humans are struggling it, probably uniquely now more than ever. And yeah. so it takes a lot of time and energy to in the infinite mindset. You know, Simon Sinek talks a lot about the infinite mind, what it really looks like to believe that we're called to business for the long game 
for transformation effects, not for just meeting a budget this quarter. While that's certainly important, and I am a firm believer in KPIs, goals, and objectives, we have got to see the people that we get to steward in business as the highest call beyond meeting our budget. And that, Mike, will transform an organization into leadership culture. So I would say that's a pivotal first step. Yeah, yeah. As you think through, I know you recently put out a post about Gallup and their engagement scores and the data and and lack there of the engagement that's going on in the workplace. What has the data told you? How has the data informed, John, the emphasis and the level of intensity in which you're bringing the work to the workplace? What's the data told you over the last 25 years? And how are you trying to inspire it to shift and and change? Yeah, Mike, I was fascinated by what Gallup did this past year in 2022 as their their metrics came out. They moved from measuring, and they still measured disengagement and engagement, but what they measured this year was unique. They measured that 60% of Americans' workforce are emotionally detached from work. This was a unique metric that they brought out this year, and 19% were flat out miserable. So we've known through the 25 years that you know Gallup will show that engagement and disengagement will, will has stayed, unfortunately, consistent, which begs the question, why aren't we doing something different, right, from a leadership culture? But when we think about 66 out of 10 people that are emotionally detached, and I, you know, one of the things that I've been on this past couple years, this journey I've been on is really understanding the beauty of my emotions as a man who wasn't really trained in emotional awareness. I, I've gotten a lot of training on emotional intelligence, but I mean like the depth of really understand what I'm feeling. Mm. Emotions are a gift from God and they're beautiful. And we all show up with them each and every day. When we create an environment where we have greater emotional awareness, we are creating environments where people are not going to check them at the door. Mm -hmm. And for years through, you know, many years of industrial revolution training and really looking at profitability as the main metric and the reason we're in business, we have really shoved a lot of those emotions under the rug. And it is a great time, like for every leader to step back and say, okay, First off, is are three out of five of the individuals in my leadership, under my leadership, are they emotionally detached? And if so, how do I create psychologically safe environments where we can lean into one another mm-hmm. and we can bring our best selves to work emotionally? So I thought that was really a fascinating statistic that Gallup put out this year that was unique. Mm-hmm. John, one of the things that you mentioned earlier with KPIs, I recently read something I'd love to share that, you know, KPIs stands for key performance indicators. But what about, here's a few, four other definitions of KPIs, keeping people informed. You know, we talk often that clarity is a gift. Clarity is kindness, keeping people involved, keeping people interested and keeping people inspired. How do we keep people interested, inspired, involved, and informed, right? And again, bringing into the the emotion, the connection, the care, because we're going to try to accomplish great things together, right? No strategy ever got accomplished without people. The best strategies, the best accomplishments get done in a way where everybody is emotionally committed to one another and the work that they're doing while also serving the humans well that you have the pleasure to lead and manage. So 
as you mentioned, that emotional detachment that's taking place in the workplace, again, that is a different language, right? It's much deeper. It's much more heart-centered than head and hand-centered. Um, what are cultural experts, how have they missed that? Why do you think that's now being brought up? Because it clearly hasn't been talked about the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's a good question. I love that KPI definition, those those four different I words. And I, I think they're really important for every leader to consider right now. Part of the emotional detachment, I believe, is because we've put out, and when I say we collectively as, as business leaders, we've put out, we, we put such emphasis on vision and mission and core values, all of which are key. But who do they really usually serve, Mike? They usually serve the organization. And so what that drives home when we continue to, to champion the vision, champion the vision is to say, you're a cog in my wheel. We're going somewhere, right? And the next level that is perfect for the timing of what we're experiencing in the labor market is to say, you matter because we're going here. And you are a part of getting there, not a cog in our wheel of getting there so that we can increase profitability, but we can change the world with you uniquely and we honor who you are in it. And that's a little bit different of a message, but so, so powerful when we think about influence and involvement and interest and inspiration. You know, Mike, we share this, you know, we've walked with a lot of folks that are in transition. You know, you, you get to steward a recruiting firm as I do. And what we get front seat to is the real psychology of work. What is it that attracts people to certain organizations? And what is it that just has them taken another J-O-B, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, people are so excited when they can be inspired by purpose, organizationally and individually. So if we think about our leadership and how we can bring more purpose into the organization, it's great to reanalyze your vision, your mission and core values in this season, because you often are probably talking about how you can serve your customers. And maybe you should start talking about how you can serve your most important customers, your internal customers, your employees. Mm -hmm. So as we've done a lot of this cultural work with people in this particular season with organization, it's been fun to reframe vision, mission, and core values specifically on how they're measurable within us, not necessarily what we're serving in the external marketplace. Yeah. So as I'm, let's just say I'm an individual and I'm going to be leading a team meeting or I've got a second quarter, third quarter conversation coming up with my organization. How do I identify, are we leading almost too focused on the corporate and not enough on the individual and the team level? How do I identify where I am there? And then, you know, what are a couple questions or an exercise that I could do to help move my thinking to more of the individual human level and the impact all those things have on? I might even end up changing some of the words, right? Based on the lived experiences. Well, that's, that's a really good question. And, you know, the first piece is the involvement of more as opposed to less. You know, the old proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm -hmm. And vision, okay. mission, core values have very often been crafted and put on a wall by, you know, a few in the executive suite. 
right, Mike? And what we see and really encourage our clients is to let's bring people in at all levels of the organization that are going to recraft vision, mission, and core values. And specifically, make sure that those core values, which is how we operate internally, externally, of course, as well, but internally, are measurable, observable, and behavioral so that they're not abstract concepts. So they're something that we can see and we can affirm and set up processes of affirming core value behavior, what we call core competencies that are attractive from anybody at any level of the organization. And when that's a shared experience up and down the org chart, it becomes a lot more about we and a lot less of the perception of the folks in the executive suite are driving home this path for profitability and we're a cog in the wheel of that productivity. Mm-hmm. So the collectivity, the collective nature of crafting these these visions, these mission, these core values are essential. And Mike, when you look at the recent history of you know, core values, we know that Enron had integrity, you know, pasted on the wall, right? So if it's not owned throughout the whole organization, then it's probably lacking the inspiration and the invitation and the interest that you talk about those KPIs. Mm-hmm. And as I'm, again, if I'm sitting with a group and I go, okay, how do I even identify how this works, how this plays out? Because I can, you know, if I walk around and I can, my employees can recite some of the values on the wall. The question is, do your values on the wall align to the behaviors that people experience, right? So where do I start there? Is there a survey one can take to know that? Is it opening up a conversation? You mentioned earlier, creating a culture of you know, safety, psychological safety, a, a place where people feel that it's safe, that they can share their actual experiences. But how do I begin as a manager, as a supervisor, and as a executive? Yeah, Mike, that's, that's a great question. So it, it's not a survey you can take. It's really fascinating because in that, in light of what we spoke about earlier, this age of information, we are so attracted to surveys that we, we take and it'll spit out numbers or color or a, a combination of letters that will tell us who we are. It's really about the, the shared facilitation, the group experience. So part of learning, when we look at learning and development theory from an HR perspective, we realize that Um, 90% of growth and learning as an organization comes from experiences and comes from the social interaction around those experiences. So, and then there's 10% of our learning that comes from our formal learning processes, right? So when we spend the time and energy, when we prioritize the facilitated sessions where we can gain insight from every individual from the top to the bottom of the organization, and we can learn from their experiences, then we get so much wiser to understand why we actually exist. So the first step, Mike, would be to prioritize that, to make a process where you're gonna get people cross-functional, and and up and down the org chart to get together and answer the big questions about why we exist and the behaviors that actually creates success in the way that we treat one another and the way that we treat our external customers as well. Mm. One of the things, John, that we have been sharing with individuals is don't talk about the value, talk about acknowledging when the values are lived out, right? Using the examples of those lived experiences to say, Here's what, you know, executing with highest integrity actually looks like. And I'd like to thank James for the way that you handled this situation last week. Or I'd like to turn to Tamika based on how you responded in a a state of chaos last week with something going on with the customer. 
here's the value that showed. This is living out what we say we are all about is something to, you know, again, let's start changing these conversations. Let's think differently. We say often, John, that the, I mentioned earlier, the strategic plan never got accomplished by itself, right? And what companies don't do is exactly what John is sharing with all of you. They don't bring it to life. They don't take the, you know, the plan and involve enough people. They don't create enough buy-in and connection and engagement early enough to where, you know, it seems frustrating inside our organization. We don't get things accomplished where you did your, your people don't even understand the definition of what you're trying to accomplish. And they don't have any heart center up against what we said we're going to do and why we're going to do it and what we're living out. Um, all they hear is a goal. They don't understand the impact that goal could have and how they can actually participate in helping you achieve it. So I know for some, it goes, well, yeah, they do. They have job descriptions. And they understand, you know, here's the roles that they're in. Here's the place in the org chart that they have. But like, take off that traditional way of thinking, right? Because you may have some of the greatest accomplishments, the greatest innovations, the greatest ideas come from people that aren't at the top of the org chart, right? Let's flatten the org chart. Think about how to align humans to accomplish what we're setting out to do, and operate in a different way, which I think is what we're all hearing from what John is sharing with us. I love it, Mike. And when you think about that, that final KPI that you define, that inspiration, there's nothing more you can do to quench the spirit of inspiration than to get people in a, in a boardroom and have them ideate around how we want to operate and not follow through on it. Mm. And so, you know, when we look at what we call purpose organizations, companies that are serious about taking leadership cultures that want to attract and retain top talent, the three components that we look at that are catalytic are creating cultures of well-being, which is probably another story for another day, creating, creating cultures where an individual's core values can be operationalized and when organizational core values can be operationalized. And Mike, you've got to have systems around this. So that, but this might sound idealistic, right? Like we need to meet everybody where they are and bend all the rules for how people want work to operate. No, we need to have strong systems and boundaries in place too. People crave boundaries, but they love those boundaries when they have a say in what they are right? Not when they're just told you have to operate like this. You and I are parenting teenagers, so we know that on a different level, right? But the beauty of the season is I think organizations can step back, involve more people, and create systems around how to operationalize both individual and organizational core values. So, uh, you know, this is fun work, Mike. I think we're in an era where we're going to see organizations get back to the root of why we're actually in business. And that's caring for people all across the org chart. And I just am really excited about it. Yeah, it's excellent, John. I am as well. It gives me great energy to do what we do every day. So let's let's do go back to something you mentioned and open it up a little bit, which is a company of well-being a culture of well-being, an environment of well-being. What does that mean to you? And how do I understand well-being initiatives that are employee-driven and don't feel just employer-driven? Yeah, that that's the key right there, Mike, is to make sure that this isn't, oh, let's you know put a bunch of ping pong tables because that's the fad in our office. And then people don't even like ping pong, so that's not going to create a, a, a culture of well-being. 
disclaimer, I love ping pong. But, you know, it's really about helping people understand what self-care looks like for themselves in order to create psychologically safe environments, not just because you think that a psychologically safe environment looks like this, but because they think this and they think this. And then gaining that feedback, which is half of the appreciation, and then taking the collective knowledge and saying, this is how we're going to do so. So, Mike, you and I were just in a recent experience where I got to share the fact that 2022 was the first year that I had a self-care plan. And it was catalytic. I, I went through a training and I, I thought it was to, to take to other organizations and it wasn't. It was for me. I looked at the seven levels of rest in my life and I have a self-care plan based on these seven levels of rest now that I come back to every Sunday when I'm, I'm on Sabbath and I say, how did I do this week? How do I feel? Where am I exhausted? And I'm able to analyze my physical, my mental, my social, my creative, my spiritual my, my mental rest and my physical rest, those are the seven, where mm-hmm. I can then be a better person and be more balanced. And when we use tools like that to help everybody that we lead understand what rest looks like for them, then they can create the boundaries in their life that they need to be rested and we can partner with them because they, Mike, will spend more time at work than anywhere in their life other than bed. So why would we tell them to rest while they're at home and not create environments where they can feel rested and balanced at work? But the first and catalytic piece of information we need is unique self-awareness. So we can't just create a culture of well-being based on what we feel we need. We need to help them discover what they need and meet them in that place. Mm. So self-awareness is not a strength of most people, John. You know, some people go for decades and don't clearly understand. And in many cases, it's because individuals who are around them don't share feedback, constructive feedback that don't feel safe enough to give, you know, hey, there's something, Mike, that you do on regular that I don't know if you realize it comes across as a microaggression to half of the audience that you're speaking to. So how do I, how do I identify if I'm self-aware? How do you help people even understand what their own self-awareness is, let alone their work behaviors? But now you're talking like, personal behaviors and how they show up every day, how they're taking care of themselves, understanding their energy levels. It's a really big topic. How do I, where do I begin that journey? Yeah. Well, first off, you have to make space for it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to prioritize and realize that there's amazing value in contemplating oneself. And that's like the starting line, right, Mike? So if we as leaders can start championing that, okay, we want you to become more self-aware. So guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to just pile on more and pile on more. We're actually going to plan out some time for you to get in a place where you can reflect on your experiences at work and be able to bring forth new awareness, right? And then those contemplative questions are so essential. The boundaries of how to actually gain in self-awareness are essential, Mike, because to your point, most of us have not been trained on the exercises necessary to gain greater Mm -hmm. self-awareness. So one really easy one for everybody, this can apply to everyone, and this is something that I try to do on a daily basis, my, my nightly examine. At what point today did I react and at what point today did I respond? 
there's a huge difference between reaction and response. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, when I drill down, usually when I'm reacting, I lacked the awareness necessary to go to where I want to be, which is mm-hmm. response. So I create narratives that aren't true and I, I jump the gun and I do a certain behavior. So when we're training leaders from a coaching perspective, we train them on the fact that in, in the chronology of how our minds work, we first feel something. And then we think something and then we say, and we do something. But what's fascinating, Mike, in the work world and in most of our our circles we run in, what we're judged on is what we say or do, but way below that is what we feel and then what we think. Mm -hmm. So every day when I look at where I reacted, I realize, wow, I probably said or did something in reaction mode without having the awareness of what I was feeling in the moment and what I was thinking in the moment. Mm -hmm. And when we create muscle to feel and think and become aware of our feelings and thoughts before we take action, we're Mm -hmm. gaining in great self-awareness. So where was I responding versus where was I reacting? A great starting point. Yeah, I mean, obviously very high level, but, you know, to drill down and give everyone an exercise here today, what a great contemplation daily or weekly that can help you to gain purpose, to gain a greater view of self-awareness and success for yourself at home and at work. John, one of the things, let's do this with those listening today. Let's create a challenge of three to four minutes a day, carve out three to four minutes a day try to do this 10 days in a row, 30 days in a row, thinking about where am I reacting versus where did I respond? If I could throw in, write down one or two things that you're thankful for as well, I find that that's a big thing for me to actually calm me down because at the end of the day, there's still so many things I can be thankful for. And it's so helpful. Am I a better, you know, we talk about, do you want to be a better listener? Where did I react versus where did I respond will help you even be a better active listener to those around you. So, John, I got two more questions. One is tell me a little bit about why your passion for coaching tennis exists. Oh, well, it's <laughs> it's directly related to reaction versus response. Mike, it's so funny you'd ask that. Yeah, it's a recent passion of mine is coaching tennis specifically for high school girls. And it's so amazing. I have a specific example that will drill down on why I love this so much. I'm a tennis player and I can teach the technical components. But tennis is a really individual sport. I mean, especially if you're playing singles and, and it's intimidating in a lot of ways because, mm-hmm. man, I mean, you know, I've hit a tennis ball billions of times, but some days it's on and some days it's off. And the crazy thing about the difference between when it's on and when it's off, it's, it has to do with the mental makeup of the game. <laughs> and so a young lady who was playing amazingly that I coached in, in a match, she just crushed the first set. She barely hit any airs. And in the second set, boy, was it the, the counter opposite. And so the third set comes, and this is a big match. And instead of talking to her about the technical components of what she did in the first set and the, fir- and the second set, I got to ask her, what are you telling yourself right now? Mm. What's wow. the narrative that's going through your, your mind? And she's like, coach, I stink. I'm going to lose. And I, and I get to say, well, if you keep telling yourself that, you sure will. 
Mm. And let's talk about a different narrative. Let's talk about, you know, how you can bring this back and how cool it would be to get back into a place of belief mm. that you can do this. And so it's about tennis, but it's about so much more than that, Mike, because I find it is a great entry point, if you will, to helping people gain greater self-awareness, even on the tennis court. Mm. That's awesome, John. And you mentioned earlier, you also love ping pong. Do you play other sports as well? Do you coach any other sports? I do. I do. I love coaching. I mean, it's just a passion of mine, basketball and, and baseball and soccer as well for, for my little ones, the really tiny ones. I'm not as good at those games. So once they get a little bit older and better, I pass them on to the real coaches, but I just am a positive influence in their life at a young age. Well, I recently just finished my coaching career because I've coached my kids in fourth and fifth grade basketball and my youngest, we just finished up his fifth grade season. So I am passing my players on to the, to the next great coaches as well. John, how would you define unconventional leaders? Hmm. Yeah, I think we've talked about it here, Mike, is really understanding what's most important and not letting the standards of the world's success keep you from that. It's robbing. We're often letting the good aspects of leadership or management rob the great components of leadership and inherent in the word leader means that there is are many people involved so we have to see this season of life mike as a great time to help and support those that are searching for something deeper something better and we don't have any better platform than being an unconventional leader at work that's awesome, John. John, and you also are giving a resource to our listeners today. So we will provide a link in the show notes. You'll be able to go to purposepartner.org backslash top hyphen 10 hyphen new hyphen work hyphen motivation. So we will provide that link to you. John, thank you for providing that resource for our listeners as well. It's been a real pleasure. It's an honor to know you, an honor to call you friend. I look forward to the work, the additional work that we'll have the opportunity to do together. And thank you for joining us on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Mike. What a joy. Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gain valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Stay tuned for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenge the status quo, and we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.